Since the shooting death of Michael Brown, St. Louis's hip-hop community has tried to raise the political consciousness throughout the Gateway City. And now one of these performers wants to get the region's voters out to the polls. C-Sharp joins us next on another edition of Politically Speaking. Nine, eight, eight, seven, six, six five, five, four, four, three, two, one. Uh, I think that is fair As to I say. say. Hands to kiss and babies to shake. <laughs> but uh, you know, I think my record speaks for itself. That's a really good question. Hello and welcome to the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a political reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joe Manis is off today, so as my super special guest host we have in studio in St. Louis. Willis Ryder-Arnold. I'm an arts and culture reporter here. Now, dear listener, you're probably wondering, what does arts and culture have to do with the Politically Speaking Podcast? It's one of those collaborations that we probably never expected ever in a million years. Well, a million years has arrived. Because our guest today is C-Sharp Redman. He's a rapper from St. Louis who is trying to get out the vote and trying to increase voter participation in St. Louis. So I thought I would take this opportunity to talk with Mr. Arnold here kind of about the St. Louis hip-hop community's intersection with politics. Because it's become definitely more pronounced in the last couple of years since Michael Brown's shooting death. When you first came here to St. Louis Public Radio a couple years ago, and I would have said to you or asked to you, how would you describe hip-hop in St. Louis? What would you have said? I would have really only had the perception that many people in the country probably have, which is the top 40 hip-hop perception of St. Louis. I'm talking Nelly, the St. Lunatics, and Chingy. And I think that most of those rappers that people know really have a kind of like party anthem sound, a really fun sound, which is not necessarily what the real St. Louis hip-hop scene is like here today. And, you know, uh, there's many good things I could say about Nelly. I think he lives in Wildwood right now, but I don't think he was known for his political consciousness, but he was probably the most popular hip-hop artist around. So when you have that perception, how do you think some of these rappers that are maybe not, have not broken the top 40 ceiling are breaking the mold of, of what we just talked about? I think that there are a couple different ways in which the like contemporary St. Louis hip hop scene is really engaging with both politics and music. You'll hear a lot of really direct political language in their songs and a lot of a really distinct attempts to kind of portray what it's like to be growing up in St. Louis, either in as part of the black community or as someone who's like really conscious of different socioeconomic divides that are a part of this city. And a lot of them bring that in very directly lyrically to their music. I think you can also hear it in the kind of sounds that they use to make their music. It's not the same kind of like open heavy beats that you came to associate with like the party jams of, you know, the early aughts hip-hop scene that defined the city. Now, one person that comes to mind is Tef Poe, who not only has been around the St. Louis hip-hop scene for a while, but he also was directly involved in the protest that followed Michael Brown's death. He often spoke at some of the city council meetings and county council meetings that I covered. And one of the songs that he recorded, I think a year or two ago, was called War Cry. It is a little bit too vulgar to play in its entirety, but I did take out a sample that didn't have any profanity in it to kind of give our listeners a taste of what 
Willis meant here. Police is ISIS. The pistol is the floor. Petey Perez shot dead on the West Coast. Tell his father that his son is speaking through Jeff Poe. Stinger at the city council with the coke nose. The white boys get it in by the boat load. Terry and Sophia acquire my demeanor since Ferguson is Barack. What was kind of the reaction from people when that came out? Yeah, that song absolutely took off. It was featured in a lot of different hip-hop magazines, a lot of different blogs. A lot of people really got behind it as a really strong representation of how a lot of people felt regarding the political situation that had come from the shooting death of Michael Brown. Um, Some people, you know, didn't necessarily agree with all of the things that he says in that song, but it was absolutely something that became a topic of conversation and is kind of in essence representative of how a lot of different musicians in the city kind of feel about not being represented politically here. Now, I remember around August 9, 2014, you wrote an article kind of about how some of the artists in St. Louis were responding to Michael Brown's death. Uh, Before I get to a clip of one of the people that was featured in that article, how do you think the hip-hop community kind of dealt with the aftermath of of Brown's shooting death and the protest movement that followed? The musicians are actually taking kind of a two-pronged approach. A lot of them are heavily involved in actual direct activism, and a lot of them are then incorporating their issues in the music itself. And those two things are often then feeding off each other and kind of creating this really interesting world um, in terms of music. One of the people that I wanted to specifically highlight that I think parlays with that view is Mr. Frio. He's a North St. Louis County resident. He had this song that came out pretty soon after the shooting death of Michael Brown that I wanted to play right now. I actually met him at a protest in September 2014, and this was a protest that eventually was forcibly broken up by people in SWAT gear, and by people I mean police officers. It was very fascinating to talk with with Mr. Frio because he was a super nice guy, obviously he's very dedicated to his musicianship, and just very down to earth and socially conscious about what's going on. Even almost two years later, we still go back and forth on Twitter about the, the lay of the land in hip hop. I think one of the things that we talked about a while ago was the feud between Baby and Lil Wayne, which caught both of us by surprise. But he was one of the people that you mentioned that I think developed more socially conscious music after the Michael Brown shooting. Right. It seems to be that a lot of people have already, a lot of these musicians have already been involved in kind of activist um, circles, but a lot of them kind of pushed that to the forefront of what they were doing, both musically and in terms of kind of how they spend their time. One of the artists that you wrote about recently was uh, by an artist by by the name of Bates. She's actually a female rapper. And while this clip that I'm about to play is not overtly related to the Michael Brown shooting, it's still very political and it deals with kind of the intersection of religion and politics. Tell me a little bit about that. So one of the things that she finds really problematic is that people get really trapped up in their religious beliefs and don't necessarily see how those things can be expressed oppressively as part of different communities here in the city. So she tries to tackle that in this song. Bates is also 
a lesbian, and so she is really interested in gay politics as well and brings that in and its relationship to the music and religion as well. Relating to my people like they really on my It told me I was dead, and I got my revival. I'm looking for a pause, I see my people losing vitals on a mouth. And feeling like I never get down when I just want to slip through the crowd and break through the ground with a shaft made of crowns and give everything I was given to get out. Now tell Jesus. And that song is Tell Jesus by Bates. So these, this is just a sampling of the community here in St. Louis, because I'm sure that there are more than just three rappers that are doing uh, politically active music. What, what impact do you think this music is having across the country, especially as the discussion of the relationship between the African-American community and law enforcement continues within the national sphere? I mean, I'd say a number of these songs have been picked up by pretty influential blogs and magazines and different media outlets as kind of representative of a shift of attention for music here in St. Louis. I think that it's kind of, you know, changing what the perception is of the St. Louis musical scene. I also think that it's probably affecting what people are interested in and how they think they should approach their craft as well as their own politics. So basically we can we can say as St. Louisans that our contribution to the hip hop community isn't just Nelly or Chingy or Jaquan anymore. Absolutely. I would say that the St. Louis hip hop community is actually at this point defined by these musicians that have a much more socially conscious approach and are being much more experimental also in the music that they make, which is kind of reflective of those progressive politics. Well, now that we got the background out of the way of where St. Louis hip hop is right now, I'm going to give a little bit of an introduction to our guest on Politically Speaking today. His name is C-Sharp Redman. He actually reached out to me via Facebook about wanting to talk about his initiative to try to increase voter participation in the city of St. Louis. I thought it would be kind of a, an interesting opportunity to talk not only about his project, but also about the intersection of hip-hop and politics in St. Louis. And the first question, as we ask most of our guests, is kind of about his background and how he got started in the hip hop scene. I make positive music. I try to do things that motivate people and inspire people on a daily basis. And, you know, like I said, man, just just live life, man. I'm I'm good. And when did you actually like start to record music and release it? Uh, man, since I was about 14 years old, um, you know, I was being groomed by an entertainment company at the time. Um, I graduated high school about a year early, so I couldn't sign it. My mother wasn't going to sign it for me, so that forced me to go to college. And, um, you know, I signed the, the contract at 18, and I graduated with a two-year at 19, and that's what I've been doing ever since. Tell me some of the, you talked about positive music. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the type of music that you record and the messages that you're trying to convey. Well, I mean, to, to give you a, um, a real, you know, idea, I mean, like I said, I was, I was scared to death, man, to make that transition into making positive music because at that time, you know, my eyes was, you know, on the radio and, you know, getting the BET awards and the Grammys and, you know, make, you know, making that transition into hip hop. But, you know, once I seen that there was a wide open niche 
you know, for those who can uh, say things that will uh, conflict the way that people think, you know, who can say things that might uh, motivate that person. And it'd be that one line that they stick with and refer to, you know, for the rest of their life. You know, I felt like I could do that. And uh, the one thing I learned about talent is is true talent when you can step outside of the box. You know, when you can step outside of the box, that's when you really have true talent, you know. And I'm just following up kind of on Jason's question. Was there a moment that you felt like really compelled to start making the positive music that you're describing and make that change from the music you maybe were making beforehand? Yeah. Um, I was approached by um, James Clark and Better Family Life. Uh, and, you know, they had an initiative called Put Down the Pistol, you know, because uh, for the last, let's say, five years, we've been losing about 120 people a year. So um, for me to be doing hip hop at the time and I'm looking for a way to make a name and I'm looking for a way to, you know, get heard, I felt like, well, if I was really, really talented at making music, then I can make music telling people to stop the violence. And, you know, I just got behind his initiative. You know, I appreciate him for giving me that idea and uh, helping me uh, step out on faith with it. And, you know, ever since then, you know, once you have the uh, connotation that you are a positive person, you know, so every school, every um, park gathering, every vigil, you know, every church, you know, and they want you to come and give that urbanized, positive message, you know. And like I said, I mean, it's just been a niche that I've been able to walk all the way throughout the city with. We're going to play a clip of Put Down the Pistol right. right now. Killing our brothers was not a part of the plan, no. Carrying your pistols would never make you a man, no. Five shots almost took my homie Dan, no. Young world, can you hear me now? Keep your heads up. One of the things that we talked about in the earlier segment was this intersection between St. Louis hip hop and politics. Mm-hmm. I think it's become a lot more apparent over the last couple of years since Michael Brown's shooting death. Um, you've seen artists like Tef Poe, Mr. Frio, Bates, and many others take that opportunity to talk about the divisions within St. Louis and the call for for change. How has Michael Brown's death influenced your music or or influenced your decision to become more politically active like right now? Well, I mean, to be honest with you, um, I was doing the Show Me State of Mind tour, too, uh, the whole time that uh, Ferguson was going on. I left in June and I didn't get back to December. So I'm sitting back watching everything and being spoon fed from it you know, just from CNN, just from what I'm seeing on Facebook. And, you know, I feel like, man, I, I, I should be there. I should have been there, you know. But, um, you know, all respect to the to the things that the artists that you've mentioned are doing, you know, it's very, very uh, valued efforts. But um, that's not really what made me get involved politically. You know, I've been involved since I uh, was a part of Lewis Reed's mayoral campaign. Yeah. Tell us a little more about that. Tell us a little bit more about that because you can make an argument that you've been – you're. You, you've intersected with politics yeah. long before Michael yeah, Brown. Yeah, a long time. Um, you know, when, when Lewis was running, uh, when he announced that he was running, I said, 
whoa, you know, because his his right hand man, uh, Maurice, what up, Snoop? My right hand man, his, his man, uh, hit me up and said, hey, C sharp. I don't want to hear you tired. I don't want to hear you you're busy. I don't want to hear you got to go out of town. I, I I need you to be ready, you know, when it's time to go for this call. So I said, okay. So uh, I didn't know what was going on at the time. So then I think about a week later, Lewis is on TV saying, I'm running for mayor of the city of St. Louis. And I said, wow. And um, at the time, I think that was when um, Barack Obama had got elected the mm. second time. Second time, yes. The second time. And I'm a big Jay-Z fan. Okay, and when I seen Jay-Z, okay, come out during the inauguration, you know, in the aviators and the, you know, two, three-piece suit and the scene, you know, I said, man, that's going to be me. When they announce him as the winner, you know, I'm going to come down the City Hall steps. I bought a suit prematurely, you know, everything. And I just tried to find a, um, a role that I could play to help him win. And I felt like uh, if I used hip-hop, maybe I could bring the 18 to 24-year-olds, you know, to the table and bring him to the forefront, uh, forefront of their uh, needs and uh, their concerns. So, so he obviously was unsuccessful in that yeah, campaign. That and he's had, he's had a rough couple of months, too. He yeah. was ensnared in a controversy about comments that another radio person made. Correct. Are you going to be involved if he runs for mayor in 2017? Do you think he can bounce back from those two not-so-good moments? Man, uh, the one thing I'll tell you is that Lewis is one of the uh, smartest and most resilient people that I know. You know, uh, we share the same birth date, October 9th. You know? Wow. So um, What a coincidence. Yeah. Different birth year, though, Different right? year, <laughs> you know. I want to make sure of yeah, that. Yeah, different year. But um, I know a lot about a person that's born on that day. And, you know, um, I ain't got nothing but respect for that dude. And, you know, whatever he decides to do, whether he decides to just, you know, um, continue to be the president of the board or if he wants to run for the mayor, you know, he always know he can call me. So let's talk about your initiative, which is one of the reasons that you're here. Right. First of all, tell me, what, what is it called, first of all? It's called the U-Turn 2016 Project, the Y-O-U Turn. So tell me what it is and what you're trying to accomplish. Well, I mean, the U-Turn is basically trying to get people to understand that we cannot let this energy and let the, the, um, the protest and all that stuff that we did and the things that we were able to achieve go in vain. Uh, we've got to make a change. We've got to start believing in this process called voting. Now, the U-turn is trying to find a way to reinvent the way that people think about it. You know, the word voting makes people discouraged. It makes them feel insecure. Like, it has nothing to do with it. Okay, well, look, if you don't like voting, if you don't like that word, well, how can I influence you to make a U-turn? How can I motivate you to make a U-turn? And it's asking everyone from the small business entrepreneurs to people who develop software to the donators to the volunteers to the organizers and the planners to say, hey, Let's find a way that we can increase this voter turnout and get people to believe in this process and see an immediate change that's going to affect them right away. Why do you think it's super important to actually be involved in the voting process as someone who's also part of the music community? Well, I mean, it's, it's almost kind of like this earning tax thing, you know, for that everybody's voting on tomorrow. It's, it's if you owned a third of something, think about it. You know, if you've owned a third of something, if the earnest tax, if the one percent that we make in our paychecks is a third of the city's budget, wouldn't you want to be there to make the decisions? That's what's going on in it. If you were paying for it, especially a, a third of it. So that's 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 the importance of it. And also it's also habit habit 
forming. You know, you want people to um, continue to give themselves some type of motivation and some type of responsibility. That's what's missing. You know, people feel like there's nothing I can do about it. So if you if you want to make a change and you've never had an idea how, well, let's try this. Musicians have been telling voters to get out the vote for decades. Right. I'm sure if you go back to the 1840s, there are, you know, people with banjos saying go vote for William Henry Harrison or something. Right. What makes this effort different from those other efforts? And why do you think that there's this urgency to do it here in St. Louis? Well, I mean, to answer your first question, it's because the voter turnout is ridiculously low. You know, in 2015, we had an automatic primary that, you know, I was a part of with Lewis and um, Kara, you know. Kara Spencer, the the now older woman of the 20th Ward. And and she um, she proved it. She said, if I can get the people out to vote, I can be the 20 year incumbent. That was it. And, you know, she she promoted the fact that she didn't have a political background. She promoted the fact that she was all about the people trying to uh, be progressive in the 20th Ward. And if you came out and vote for that, then that's the things that I would advocate for in City Hall. And people said, "Okay, Kara, I'm going to believe in you and I'm going to vote for you and I'm going to see what happens. And, man, when I tell you it was a party on Cherokee Street, you know, for like a week, it was a party on Cherokee Street for like a week. Well, until the general, because she had to beat an independent opponent. But I understand what you're saying. And and, and even with Lewis, you know, um, we have 300,000 people that live in this city. 180 of them are eligible to vote. My man Steve taught me that. They're eligible to vote. Okay. Now, well, only 15,000 people come out and actually execute the process that leaves you with a percentage of 9.1, okay? So when you have less than 10% of the city making decisions for you, of course you're going to have disparity in, you know, the way that things are done around town. Now, one of the reasons for that low percentage could be that in in the 2015 elections, there were some aldermen who had no opponents. No opponents. I, I live in the 16th Ward, for example, okay. and my alderwoman, Donna Berenger, was unopposed. Now, there were still people that came out and voted for her Correct. for some reason. Correct. But, I mean, one of the things that I have noticed is whenever people talk about low turnout, there is a correlation between low turnout and un contested are very non-competitive elections. Right. So is part of this also trying to get people to run against people so there is a choice for people to vote? Once people start seeing the process work, if they've seen how the process worked, maybe that would entice them to want to take a step out on faith. You know, you've got more people that are, are from the neighborhood that are more popular than Alderman. You see what I'm saying? And uh, you said you're from the 16th, right? I am. So big shout out to D Major. That's what I call her. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Big shout out to D Major in the 16th. But um, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, if people see the process working, then that might entice them to have a little bit more civic responsibility and step out and, and try it because well, it's not hard. I know that one person who is a musician who is running for, for election is, yeah. is uh, Bruce Franks, yeah. who's running against Penny Hubbard. Yeah. Without discussing the machinations of that too much, um, do you think that's going to become maybe a mini trend in the next few years that maybe people within the hip-hop community may be stepping out of the studio booth and actually running for office more often? Or do you think that he's like a special case, essentially? Um, Machinations. I like that word. Machinations. Great word. So um, the thing is with Bruce, um, I performed at a couple of his fundraisers. Um, He's introduced me at a couple of things that he's done. And the one thing I always let him know is that, man, 
you are inspiring people and you're influencing people in ways that you have no idea. You know why? And I mean, because I mean, it all it takes is for somebody to look like you to show you how it's done. And win, lose, or draw, Bruce Franks is a winner. You see what I'm saying? Because he's influencing a cat like C Sharp. You know, to maybe think about what he can do, possibly. You know, the things that he can achieve, possibly. And to see him promote, to see him campaign, to see him speak, to see him, you know, it's almost like you have a tutorial to follow. You know, you have a, a guide to follow. I'm just really curious, you know, you've mentioned a lot of people that have reached out to you directly, and then you view your own music and your own uh, project here with U-Turn to as like reaching out to other people directly. Why do you think that that kind of culture, one-on-one -on -one approach can really influence people's attention to voting? Well, I mean, because we live in a um, very, very cyber, very, very social, interpersonal type world, you know, and it doesn't take much to impress people nowadays. And, you know, if you can come from whatever plateau you come from and look a person in the face, shake them in the hand, let them know that they are important, let them know you are, you know, a difference maker and you are a change agent, you know, then maybe somebody might ask you, well, wow, you know, how, okay, how do I do it then? If I have such capability, if I have such power, how do I use it, you know? I mean, it's almost like when I come from a show to the third district committee meeting, you see what I'm saying? And they're looking at me like, what is he doing here? You know, you already stand out. So um, it's one of those things to where when you go to where people are, they feel a sense of genuosity. They feel like you really, really care about the initiative and you care about them and their role in it. Well, one of the elephants in the room, so to speak, is the presidential election, which Correct. is often a big driver of turnout. Right. And we don't know who the nominees are going to be in either party yet. Hillary Clinton seems to be in the lead, but Bernie Sanders has been gaining momentum and who knows who the Republican person is? It may be Willis by the end of the day. <laughs> but but how do you think that's going to have an effect on turnout? Because I know that that turnout was actually pretty high over the last two presidential elections, and including in the city of St. Louis, because Barack Obama was a was a compelling candidate for people north, south, central, and everywhere. Now you may not have that type of candidate that encourages or inspires a big turnout. Is your initiative going to be? challenged by that reality? Or do you think the presidential election could be the opportunity to make sure people get out to vote? Well, I mean, I think it would teach people that you have to be ready to make decisions in pieces and sections of government. You know, you've got to be prepared to pick your state reps, pick your governors, pick your president, pick your aldermen, pick your, um, you know, propositions and, and things like that. Like, you've got to be ready to do these things on a regular basis. And even though, you know, people are always um, more geared towards voting in November, you know, I get it. But that doesn't affect us immediately, you know, like the governor does. No. You know, it doesn't affect us immediately like the mayor does. It doesn't affect us immediately like, let's say, I hate to say this word, but like the comptroller. You see what I'm saying? Why Why do you hate to say the word? Because I love Darlene. You know what yeah. I'm saying? I love I love her. But you know what I'm saying? It's just one of those things that we have to understand that we are the ones picking these people. I was going to say the comptroller probably touches people a lot closer to home than even the president because she makes all of the big financial decisions exactly. in the city. What what have you been kind of besides coming on the show? Obviously, what have you been doing to try to get your message out about U-turn? 
anything from, um, you know, taking advantage of TV and radio to um, actually showing up at your committee meetings. You know, I'm actually going to uh, Greater Gravois Park. Shout out GGP, you know. Um, you know, I'll be there April the 11th, you know, talking to that special group of individuals who are very, very progressive in their own right. And, um, you know, like I said, I'm just the type of cat that you will catch coming to your neighborhood. I'll come to your uh, uh, tea and biscuit party. You know, I'll come to the limp, limp and arsenal. You know, you can meet me anywhere. I'll, I'll come anywhere. What's yeah. your favorite cup of tea and biscuit? Man, since I've been on this diet, I haven't had much biscuits, you know. But do you have to like tea? I'm a big tea drinker. Are you a tea drinker? I'm not. Oh man, <laughs> I'm not. Just just a cold glass of water. Do okay, me, man. okay, that's that's fair. That's fair. Do you think that there are any other people within the hip hop community that are willing to join you in this message, or willing to kind of take their political intersections again out of the studio and into the streets, so to speak, for actual political action? Hopefully. You know, hopefully um, this isn't me, you know, calling out hip hop artists saying that we need to do this. I mean, it's do you see a place for yourself in this? You know, uh, I know a, pe- a lot of people uh, attached themselves to Ferguson because it was a worldwide renowned uh topic of discussion, you know, and I'm not saying, you know, people were using things subliminally or anything like that. But um, it's really, really about what's going on at home. And when Ferguson and the protests and stuff like that kind of died down, you didn't see a lot of people out in the streets anymore. You know what I'm saying? Until it was time to protest again, you know. And I just think that we can use our voices and use our 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 rhyme scheme. We can use our swag. We can use our whole delivery, you know, to really get people energized and actually contributing to something that has immediate results. One of the things that you really hammered home just then is letting people, is ensuring that people know that it's about what's happening locally. And I'm curious, a lot of that has to come from like an education about what is going on locally. How do you kind of bring education both into the music and into the project of U-Turn so that people know why and why they should be involved in voting? Um, I think the education part of it is going to come from, you know, people getting excited about it. You know, people actually wanting to know what this does, what this is, what this is, what this does. We live in an information age now to where you can just ask a computer the question, you know, and it will give you, you know, maybe almost 3,000, 300,000, you know, 3 million, you know, results. And, um, you know, you don't want to force education on people i think people have their own way of learning they have their own way of uh grasping concepts you know if you will but what you want them to do is be excited to at least learn it go look for it go search for that knowledge you know take the journey that it takes to get educated and in, in, in whichever way that you possibly can because no two people really share the same idea anymore you know it's not a universal way to learn anymore no um my last question for you is why do you think there's an urgency for people in St. Louis to get out, to vote, and to make their voices heard in this point in time? All right. Well, I'm going to tell you the same thing that I told everybody at 2720. You know, um, we had an event that changed the, the, the swung the pendulum of the world, you know, and everybody really, really focused on St. Louis at the time. You know, and we taught Baltimore how to protest. We taught Chicago. We taught New York. You know, we taught 
any other. I mean, even when I was in Texas, you know, I was doing a tour and I seen people marching and shouting and chanting up and down streets that had nothing to do with it at the time. But they were just tired and fed up from the injustice, you know, and we had the entire country marching and we had the entire country rallying. So if we can find a way to create a module, which I think the U-Turn 16, 2016 project is, we can say, okay, a year and a half ago, we went from burning up in flames, you know, to a year and a half later, we've gotten voter turnout increased and we've, you know, created neighborhood cohesion and civic responsibility. And that's a module that we can share with the other cities that's in unrest right now. That's you know, governmental, you know, governmentally imbalanced right now. And it's something that we can teach everybody on how to put the power back onto the people. So my right hand, you know, to God, I know y'all can't see it, but my right hand to God, if, if, if we can find a way to change what's going on in St. Louis, we can find a way to change the world. Well, we appreciate you coming in today and, and sharing your initiative with us. Um, for all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. You can follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. You can follow Willis on Twitter at Willis R. Arnold. And are you on Twitter? Yes, I am. Good. What is your address? Uh, C to the sharp. C the number two, D-A sharp. All one word. Follow C sharp on Twitter. You won't be sorry. Until next time, so long. Swagger so slew. I fall like Larry Hughes. Closet full of polo. Dresser full of truths. Unarmed teams gunned down on the news. We know by many. Love.